Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, hello, hello. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning in. Man, what a crazy week it's been for me. I feel like I've been out of touch with Dose of Leadership. I've been so busy with family. One of my daughters unexpectedly moved up to Detroit, so I had to deal with that. And then I started flying again. I actually started flying again. Do you believe this? I flew January 2nd at the beginning of 2020. And then I went on my first trip uh, last week, mid-June. I'm recording this on June 25th. It was a week ago. I went to Incheon, China, and then Beijing, or Incheon, South Korea, and then Beijing, China, and then back to Dallas. Do you believe that? And I'm flying again tomorrow, heading to Paris. So the world seemingly is coming back to normal, but it still feels weird out there. I tell you, it just, it just does not seem the same. Even when I was in Incheon, it seemed like um, World War Z almost. There was nobody at the airport. Uh, we didn't have any passengers on the plane. We were picking up cargo, of all things. Didn't stay the night in China because we can't. I wouldn't want to because of the COVID deal. But it was just weird. But it was it was good on one hand, but still a stark reminder of, of how different things are. And um, it's a little uneasy. And I'll be honest, honest with you. I mean, leadership has been tested and challenged. And uh, it's certainly... Um, I really do think this is a trying times for everybody, but uh, this is a great opportunity for leadership. And hopefully this show, Dose of Leadership, is a great resource for you, a free resource for you in your leadership journey, where authentically we deal with leadership topics and how all of, how helping you to become a better leader. That's what it's all about. And I know I've certainly been tested over the last two weeks, and I'm just like you, and it's glad to be back in the saddle and giving you a great episode Another great conversation with Alain Hunkins. Alain is spelled L-A-L-A-I-N. It's the French pronunciation. But, uh, man, what a great guest. I really connected with him. We've been trying um, to get him on the show for quite some time, even looking back to February and March. And, and we finally got it done probably about three or four weeks ago when I recorded this conversation. And I'm excited to, to bring this to you this week. He's just uh, one of the great ones. I really do think so. And he's a sought-after keynote speaker, facilitator. He's a coach. He is a leadership expert. He's a leadership junkie. He fits right in to the Dose of Leadership tribe. And he wrote a great book. In fact, if I could write a book, if I could wake up in the morning and said, Richard, you could write any type of book that you want, I, I think I would write like he did in Cracking the Leadership Code. It's really good. It's about uh, three secrets to building strong leaders, and uh, he got he has a lot of science behind you know discovering the brain science behind leading people. He's got a lot of great real life leadership stories in the book, and at the end of the day, the book is a practical leadership toolkit to become a better leader. That's what it's all about. Just like this show is something that you can put in your arsenal into your toolkit and to become a better leader. And I like what he uses to in the toolkit. Um, as you know, with, as with me, I got the four C's. Uh, Alan has the three C's. And to him, it's all about connection, communication, and collaboration. And I love that. I absolutely love that. So we deep dive into that in this conversation. And we, we also, what I love about him, he's the first guest that I've had on here that, that references Frederick Winslow Taylor. And I do that a lot in my keynotes. And so I cannot stand Frederick Winslow Taylor and the idea of scientific management theory that came about in the Industrial Revolution. And I still, the reason why I don't like him is because of the way that he viewed people. He viewed workers as cogs in a machine. And um, he's a mechanical engineer by trade, and he looked at these things. And, and anyway, it, it Frederick Winslow Taylor, in my opinion, has created this cultural rift that still is with us today, even though it's been debunked for the past 60 years that the type of scientific management theory doesn't work in the dynamic environments that we're dealing with today. Um, it works in certain situations, but not overall. And the mindset and the concepts that were brought forth from Frederick Wenzel Taylor are still, we're dealing with them today in all the organizations, particularly large organizations. And leadership is the solution, the type of leadership we talk about here on Dose of Leadership. And Alan gets it 100%. And so we deep dive into that. You're really going to enjoy that, and I highly encourage you to go get his book. 
uh, cracking the leadership code again. If I could write a book, it would be one like this. It's so it's that good, and uh, I'm excited for him to be on the show. All right, thanks for being a supporter of the show. And again, this is a free resource for you. My call to action for you is to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast application. If it's Apple Podcasts, if it's Stitcher, if it's Google Play, whatever the case may be, take the time to subscribe, rate, and review on your smart device. And if Apple Podcasts really helps, if you could write a review, it's those reviews, that word of mouth, you know, telling a spouse, telling a coworker, telling a friend, telling another family member about this show and the benefits you get from it that allows me to continue to grow. And going on eight years now, seven and a half years, uh, one of the top business podcasts, leadership podcasts out there. And it's all because of you. And so the more that you can write a review, the more that algorithm and Apple Podcasts keep us front and center and allows us to continue to impact the lives just like yours. And uh, that's why I do this show. Thanks for tuning in. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you want more information about my leadership services, go to doseofleadership.com and connect with me there as well. All right, let's get on with this great conversation with Alon Hunkins, Cracking the Leadership Code, here on Dose of Leadership. Well, I'm so glad to have you on Dose of Leadership. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Richard. I'm so excited to be with you today and have this conversation. Well, me too. And it's I was when I was doing the homework on you, and I realized, man, we've been connected a long time on LinkedIn. And I even I, I know I connected to you for a reason, and it was because of you're a leadership junkie like me, I'm sure. But uh, anyway, glad you're finally here. No, I'm thrilled. You know, like I can say, like not only am I thrilled to be uh, as a guest, I've been a fan for years. I just think that you have done such an amazing job of just being so passionate about leadership. And I've learned so much from all the other guests you've had. So it's really a, a delight and dream come true to be here on the show. With well, you. thank you for those kind words. Well, I got to tell you, Cracking the Code uh, definitely is a book that speaks my language. Um, I, I guess a little background of the, I mean, obviously you've, you're immersed in the leadership world. You're definitely a perfect guest to have on the show, but how did you get started down this path? I mean, a kind of a quick synopsis of how you became a leadership junkie yourself. Yeah, I guess for me, if I look back, you know, certainly when I was four and five and six years old, I wasn't like, I'm going to be a leadership facilitator trainer. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right. I didn't think that. Like, but, but if I look back at the common theme over my life, the one big theme is I've always been fascinated by people. Like, why do people do what they do and people's behavior? Um, that started at a really young age and it continued on when I was uh, in college, I studied psychology for a while and also studied theater. Actually, after college, I went on to grad school and studied theater. I was in, went to an acting conservatory where you really kind of put yourself yeah. and your own behavior under the microscope. Right. But for me, what I really felt, and I had these ideals about the theater, which I still believe is that, you know, when we come away from a great work of art, that it changes our lives for the better. And I believe that. And yet the actual business of the acting business was really hard. And I thought, I don't know, this is the way I want to go. So I ended up getting into teaching. I was doing arts and education work, teaching leadership and conflict resolution to junior high school kids and high school kids in New York City in some pretty hard hitting neighborhoods, which is where I cut my teeth on teaching. And then a couple of years of that, a friend of mine said, do you ever think about doing any corporate work? I went, corporate? I'm not a corporate dude. What are you talking about? <laughs> but I ended up, long story short, I ended up getting a job with a company that did experiential training in corporations, basically focusing on leadership management. And I went, oh, I love this stuff. And it was dynamic and it was helping people have those aha light bulb moments. And so I started working with group after group, week after week. And what I started noticing is there were patterns of behavior that emerged that not only would great leaders have lots of patterns in common, so did the lousy ones, so did the mediocre ones. Mm -hmm. So I, I started taking notes and, and capturing some things, and those notes became blog posts. And those blog posts became stories, and the stories became chapters of what became the book. So the book was not written like, I have to go out and write a leadership book. It's like the book wrote itself, kind of a grassroots from the bottom up approach over really over a decade and a half of capturing ideas. And so what I found was as I reviewed all these blog posts, I had about 300 blog posts and I reviewed them all. They bucketed out into three major themes, which became what's the subtitle of the book, the three secrets of building strong leaders. One theme is connection. The second is communication. And the third is collaboration. And so what I find is I kept coming back to these fundamental human themes again and again. So 
guess what inspires me? It's about people because it really doesn't matter what industry we work in. We're all working in the people business. It is so true. I love that story. I love that background. It's interesting how you've started out in the theater, in the arts, and acting. Um, I kind of, um, well, what was it, about 10 years ago, I, I hired an acting coach. Uh, and, and it was because my youngest daughter was thinking about getting and doing a play. And I thought, well, it would be fun that we could do this together. And anyway, I, and I didn't know much about acting. I'm a big fan of movies, acting. I, I love the whole thing. Yeah. Never saw myself as an actor or even a guy in the arts. And when I started working with her, and she was trained by what's the guy up in New York, the method, the thought, oh, what was, I forget the name. Lee, Lee, Lee Strasberg? Strasberg. Yeah. She was a student yeah. of his. Wow. And she was just great. And she, she, she started working with me and helping with, with my keynote speeches. But I, I worked with her for about a year and a half and I learned a lot about acting. She put me through a lot of acting exercises. And yeah. the reason why I'm telling you this story is because it was an aha moment for me working with her. And even though, even with my leadership journey, um, I would say prior to that and working with her, uh, I was kind of just doing what the book said. And I understood the concepts and even coming from the time in the Marine Corps. But it wasn't until I did that, those acting lessons to help with the keynotes and everything else that the kind of the concept of authenticity started uh, entering into my leadership journey, if that makes sense. I know that was a long oh, story. You know what I mean? Complete sense. Yeah. And it's really funny too, because I talk to people about the acting back and I say, well, does that mean that like, if you're, you're up there, you're faking it? No. It's like, right. no, it's actually the total opposite. In right. fact, the journey and the craft and the discipline of acting is how do you work so well to be as authentic as possible? I mean, that's the, because we all know it when we see it and we know it when we don't see it. That's right. And so it's finding your way in and there's so many different amazing tools and techniques to do that. But ultimately I see leadership is a performing art. Because all the performing arts are based on behavior, what you say and what you do, and how do you express that? And there are a million different ways to put that package of who you are together. And so there's great lessons to be learned from the world of acting that translate into the world of leadership. I agree. And it was it was eye-opening for me. I guess this was about 11 years ago. But, I mean, just, just that just shows you how recent that was for me. Yeah. You know, and I'm 51, almost 52. And still consider myself a leadership junkie before that, but it wasn't that till that I would still think it was, um, I wasn't embracing authenticity like I do now. I mean, if I could, it's essential, it's central to my theme of everything that we talk about here and, and that I try to do as myself, right? Is I think that's the key to everything. And you're right. And you're looking at connection, communication and, and collaboration. The umbrella of authenticity is around all of that, right? All of it. Yeah. All it's, of it's, it. about being, it's about being human. human. And it's so interesting right. to, to me because as you look at, you know, I, I also look at the research because I don't think it's enough for us to kind of be spouting these concepts. You know, you're going to have <laughs> right. people who are going to say, that's all soft and fuzzy, but show me the proof. I want to see it. And so all the research, you know, you look at Deloitte puts out a state of the workplace report and it's like people are so hungry for authenticity oh in the workplace. It, I mean, more and more. So and true. particularly you know, particularly Gen Y and Gen Z. I mean, they make up 61% of the workforce today. And this idea of, you know, they want that and they smell it when it's not real. Not to mention, they also want to buy from companies that are authentic and have a clear sense of purpose and social mission. So being authentic is in everyone's best interest, especially being a better leader who's more authentic. In that I, way. I agree with you. And I think it's a hell of an opportunity for leaders out there to grasp onto this because it's so true. You're right. The, the hunger is there. I mean, you see it and, uh, and it certainly is spilling over into the even, well, even the entertainment world and the political world for sure, where there's this genuine lack of authenticity or the, the ones that are succeeding are the ones that are authentic. And I think politics are certainly late to the game in it. And we'll see how it all shakes out over the next day and decade. But, but where is that authentic, uh, you know what I mean? That, that someone that is f so focused on the human connection part of leadership and it's just, it's absent in so many areas. You're so right. Yeah. And it's so interesting too, because as you're saying that, it makes me think about part of why we yearn for it so much too, is just our society has changed. Look how much more transparent. Absolutely. Is. I mean, right. And the fact is like everyone with their phone is now a frontline journalist. I mean, look at what's going on this That's week, right. last week. 
mean, we're, we're recording this, whatever it is, in the middle of June, and we're having massive upheaval around kind of in the wake of the George Floyd murder and what that means for because we have access. We we can't we know it when people are just giving us the pre prepackaged soundbite that, you know, the fact is truth is going to out these days. You can't hide whatever truth it is because everyone's recording it. And so I think it was Mark Twain said it so well. He said, you shouldn't lie because it's too much to remember. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like you got to keep track of all that. And the fact is being authentic, it's it's, leaders, we're being watched 24 seven, both what we do as well as what we don't do. It's both what we say and what we don't say. And so the more that we can live from that place of core values and purpose, then we don't have to worry about put, turning it on and turning it off. It's just it's who we are in everything that we do, both right. personally and professionally. And that's why and you see this, and you see how this gets merged now with you know people working from home. The fact is, there's no more work life. It's just one big mess of life. You know, it's like mm-hmm. all together. So we're, we're leaders are being tested in ways that we've never been tested before. It's well, exciting. It is exciting, and I think it's 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 a heck of a missed opportunity, and it just shows you how archaic. And you know, two examples, and again, I don't want to turn this to, to political, but just even you know, I'll, I'll pick on both sides here, and it just shows you how kind of how how I think the general kind of spin of politics misses the boat. You take it from you know Trump holding the Bible in front of a church as a photo op. And then even yesterday, the Democratic leaders taking, you know, kneeling, you know, for a photo op. It's all this photo op. It's all practiced. It's all rehearsed. And I, I don't think anybody, I don't think the vast majority of people buy that stuff anymore. I know I don't anyway. And I think that it's just like, you know, come on, uh, where's the authenticity? You know, where, where's the humility? Where's the the empathy side, you know, that it, that isn't just a, a manufactured soundbite or a photo op? And I th- yeah. it, it's blatant. It's so blatant now uh, that they're missing the boat. And, and from what I can see, they're they're missing a heck of an opportunity. And um, anyway, it drives yeah. me crazy. Yeah. Well, so what? Tell me a little bit about um, on uh, cracking the code. Like, how? When did you start to write the, write this book? I mean, when? How long did it take you to do it? Yeah. So the book, Cracking the Leadership Code, came out of these blogs that I was mentioning before. So over, it really, you know, it wasn't just sit down and write. It was just kind of repurposing a bunch of blogs and then finding the themes. The actual book writing itself took about a year and a half of like, in earnest. And I had to go off and cloister myself. I go off to our local college library and just, and I also had, I bought this wonderful app for my phone and my, and my computer called Freedom, which literally locks, you can lock yourself out of the internet. So I would give myself these times to write. So I could not be, I could not distract myself with my usual distractions because I was using my computer to write. But you know, it's so easy just to click over to your web browser. So, yeah. So I ended up just focusing on on writing, and so the book emerged, and then having it edited, and you know, I, I find that the big challenge with writing, it's writing. You just got to put that first draft on the page. It's so important, you know, <laughs> yeah. getting that first draft. I know that you and Amy Edmondson had a good conversation about the writing process, and yeah. I was I was kind of saying amen to everything you were talking about because the hardest part is getting those ideas out because they are dense and they are messy at first. And the critic and judge inside of me is going, this is crap. What am I going to yeah, do? That, that's been my, you know? my thorn in my side. I mean, I think yeah. I even said that with Amy. I mean, and it'll get there. So it's encouraging for, for me to hear that, to say that, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not alone then. I'm not that far off the mark. So I can't yeah. wait. I need to get mine done. But anyway, the thing I appreciate about your book and about you, and we were talking in the, in the pre-recording, and, and I had, you had mentioned Frederick Winslow, Winslow Taylor. And I, in my keynotes, a couple of my keynotes, I, I reference him uh, when I'm ta- I talk about um, creating cultures of decentralized uh, yeah. authority, right? And I, I, I lay the groundwork in the beginning, and I think where a lot of our problems that I have seen in, in the organizations I've worked in and for those yeah. that I have coached, that we're just kind of this Frederick Winslow Taylor, which I am not a fan of. And if I ever see him in the afterlife, I'm going to give him my, my thoughts. Because when you read that book, you know, his scientific management theory book, and it's just yeah. 
it's a nightmare, and we're still dealing with some of that. Anyway, I know that that's something that's that's important to you, or, or kind of one of your pet peeves oh my, too. Yeah, it's 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 pet peeve. Yeah. So I ended up reading a biography of Frederick Winslow Taylor. It's written by Robert Canigle called "The One Best Way," and I literally had to pick my jaw up off the ground right. a few times because I was as reading because he quotes his book, 1911 book, "Principles of Scientific Management." You know, because I kept asking myself, you know, we got this mediocre leadership at best and like i think why no one intends to be a lousy leader right, right? and yet it like last studies i saw about 23 percent of people think leaders lead well so we still have this massive sea of mediocrity so why right so it goes back like where do we learn this from and we all learn our behaviors from the people who taught us so right. i went where does it go it goes back to the first which is frederick winslow taylor who's considered the father of the field of management and the thing is, Frederick Winslow Taylor was by training a mechanical engineer, yeah. and he saw the workplace as an engineering problem to be solved. So he was not exactly what we would call a people person. You know, it's so funny because we use the word human resources. I mean, that came from somewhere. Well, it used to be human beings, but Taylor turned human beings into human resources. And, and he wrote that, you know, in the past, man has come first, but in the future, the system must come first. So is this mechanistic worldview. And another thing that he said that made my jaw drop is he described his ideal worker. And this is what he said. He said it should be so, and I'll quote this because I could not make these words up if I tried. He said the ideal worker should be, quote, so stupid that he resembled in his mental makeup the ox more than any other type, end quote. I mean, that's literally what he said. The ideal worker should be like an ox. And, you know, one of Taylor's biggest disciples was Henry Ford. Yeah. And Ford, Ford famously said of his employees, why is it when I want a pair of hands, they come with a brain attached? And, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what he said. So this idea, yeah. and we got to remember too, 95% of the workforce was doing manual labor on an assembly line. So the employee value proposition was really crystal clear, right? Leaders command and control and employees just shut up and comply. And, and this, you know, Taylor's ideas spread like wildfire and his work formed the basis of the curriculum for a new startup school called Harvard Business School. And it became the leadership playbook of the 20th century. But you read it and it's so painfully out of date. I mean, our world has changed so much since 95% of people working on the assembly line. So those ideas and those mindsets of command and control I mean, don't work. I mean, it's, you say to somebody today, shut up and comply. I mean, come on, really. I mean, between LinkedIn and Glassdoor, people know where the grass is greener these days. And employees are not afraid to hop the fence. Last I saw with the Bureau of Labor Statistics was that, you know, if we look at the median tenure of workers age 25 to 34 is only 2.8 years at a job. Wow, so yeah. job hoppling is the new normal. So what is your compelling value proposition as a leader? Why should someone, someone stay working with you? The number one reason people say they'll leave their job is the inability to learn and grow. So if we're not giving people a compelling reason beyond shut up, do your job, get a paycheck, you should be happy for it they're going to be gone as soon as the opportunity springs for it. Yeah. So. I mean, well said. And you're right. The, the, those principles of scientific management of, you know, the idea it's, it's possible to know all we need to know to be able to plan what we do, you know, that kind of in that, again, kind of taking the human variability out of it, you know, management workers should be separated. There's but one right way. Uh, I, I, I was saying even in the pre-recording that I think a lot of those problems, it just, it's just been so ingrained in our culture and management and leadership you know, there's that, that separation already, particularly in large organizations, no matter how well-intentioned you are, you, you're going to have to deal with that kind of mindset. It's just, it's that pervasive, you know? Yeah. And, and the scary part is, I mean, that worked to an extent, but you got to remember, like, let's go back to the Ford Motor Company. They had that Model T on the assembly line for 27 years without changing it. Right. I mean, that was the same product that the market, I mean, look at how quickly business cycles change now. So again, that could only work in a very slow moving, very stable society. I mean, that is not the world we live in, which is, means that so now we're in this knowledge work age where our people are the front lines. They are the eyes and ears of coming up with new ideas and innovations so that we can keep adapting and changing to respond to what the marketplace is asking of us, whatever that is. And so trying to hold on to this 
centralized. We have all the information and we'll spoon feed it out to you people out there on the front line is ridiculous because that's not the world we live in. No, but I, and I think that's where, you know, I think a lot of leaders still struggle. I mean, I still, I know I've coached a few and, and even myself, I've had to kind of, even as much as I preach this, I, sometimes I can find myself slipping into, um, I mean, I can think of a, one story when I when in the corporate arena where I definitely slipped into that kind of inadvertently because I felt like, yeah. well, I don't, I don't want to, and it wasn't that I looked at it like Frederick Taylor did that, oh, well, you know, if you're stupid enough to shovel pig iron, you don't, you can't understand the mechanics and the science behind making, you know, shoveling pig iron efficient. You know, I'm, I'm not that guy, but I mean, I was, I went to it of saying like, well, I don't want to, they're already busy. I don't want to bother them. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to create this checklist so they don't even have to think. I said that in my mind. I'm going to make this so easy. I'm going to create a binder and a checklist. All you do is got to follow it. You don't even have to think. I told my guys that, you know? And yeah. so it's easy to get sucked into that. And it was an absolute disaster, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. And when I turned yeah. when I turned it over to, okay, here's my intent. This is what I want to have happen. How do you think we can get there? And they were unleashed. And the creativity yeah. and everything else came out. And anyway, it's easy to get sucked yeah. into it. Oh, totally. I mean, you're talking about that sense of, you know, how do you make people feel included and taking ownership of that stuff? And it is so easy to fall into these pitfalls that have gone on since the days of Taylor. I mean, I think one of the things that I talk a lot about is just the importance of building connected relationships based on empathy. Because at the end of the day, leadership is not a job title. It's not about power and control. It's a relationship between two people. And the way you build relationship is through knowing that people think that you care about them. And I think everyone intuitively gets that. Like, I get it. We've all heard people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I mean, we've heard this for years. And yet still, leading with empathy is hard. And it turns out that 92%, this was a business solver 2019 survey, 92% of CEOs say that their organizations are empathetic, but only 50% of employees agree that their CEOs are empathetic, right? That's a <laughs> right. Huge, gap. huge gap. So why is leading with empathy so hard? Even though everyone would agree, I want to do this. It's the right thing to do. Well, I think one of the biggest challenges, and you kind of named it, is that people are busy, impatience, right? Because showing people that you care about them and that how they feel isn't something you can just check off on your to-do list. You can't just go right. through, even, even though you can like, you know, you can check off your emails and stuff, but human relationships take time and showing empathy means showing patience and, you know, people are busy. We've got, we all say my plate is full. I've got results to deliver. In fact, many organizations, a drive for results is a core leadership competency. And I get that. And, and this is the paradox of the both and, and, Driving for results shouldn't come at the expense of driving over the people who are actually working to deliver those results. Yeah. Right. So it's that it's the wisdom of it's the wisdom of knowing when to go fast and when to go slow. And there's a time and a place for both. And so, like, yeah, like checklists can be great in certain situations, but as you found, not so great in other ones because people are like, "Don't tell me I shouldn't think." So, well, there's a myth. I think there's a misconception of what what checklists the use for them are, you know, I, I think, and as an aviator, I mean, obviously we, we rely on checklists, but the reason we have them is so that we can free up our brain for the inevitable unforeseen that's certainly going to happen. Does, does it make sense? And so oh, completely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's sometimes when I've seen people, an organization where, well, you're a pilot. Why don't you, I want a checklist for this. And I'm like, I'm all for it, but the checklist isn't, isn't to replace it's to free up the brain power to solve yeah. the real problems of the business. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Oh, completely. I mean, the fact is you want to have that structure and that checklist where you want the structure that it actually gives you the freedom to be free where you need to. Right. You know, it's interesting because, and I'm sure you've probably experienced this working in aviation and maybe even in the Marine Corps, is I've worked with lots of industries that are highly regulated. So whether it's um, aerospace, mm -hmm. defense, pharmaceuticals, and there tends to be like a, a certain kind of mindset that is very regulatory and risk averse. And for good reasons, right? Because if the plane isn't going to fly well, lives are at stake. You know, if the drugs kill people, lives are at stake. So, and that's great that you have regulations in certain things. But what I have found is that regulatory, we'll call it compliant mindset, 
trickles into every aspect yep. of their business. Agreed. So you look at the way people hold meetings and share ideas and people don't feel safe to speak up and share ideas. So it's, so it's, again, this is the idea of leaders need to embrace paradox. Like where do you go fast? Where do you go slow? Where do you have structure? And then where do you have the freedom? And I think, you know, this during this pandemic time is a perfect opportunity because in some ways we've all had to press pause on business as usual it's a great time for us to step back and reflect on why we do what we do and how we do what we do and look at those processes and start to go, maybe it's time to kill some of these sacred cows. Maybe they're not really serving us because we can get a little objectivity and some distance because we're not able to do things the way we were doing them for so long. So my hope is that all of us can step back as leaders and become more innovative and creative in this turbulent time of crisis. I think well said. And I think it's a perfect opportunity to, you're right. And, and going back to, and I, and I have worked in environments and I still do where rules and regulations are the lifeblood and they're there for good reasons. But I go back to a quote that I, when I was in the Marine Corps, when our, um, it's kind of the blue Bible of the, the NATOPS manual, the manual, right? Where everything mm -hmm. was in it, the operating procedures, limitations, and it says though on the front page, it says you are ordered, ordered to know this book cover to cover. That's the first sentence, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but that's pretty much what it says. You're ordered to know this book from cover to cover. All the rules, regulations, limitations, yada, yada, yada. Failure to comply with the things in this book will lead to loss of life, losing your wings, property, whatever. And yeah. Like, wow, so that, did so. So what happened? Did you learn it all? <laughs> well, yeah. You know, like, but the 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 meaty line, the beautiful line, is the one right after after all of that kind of you know ominous you know prose. It says, however, this book is not a substitute for sound judgment and common sense, and that I think is the, is the leadership line. And it, basically, what it says is is like that's fine. This is book will, will nine times out of ten save you and prevent you from death. And if you do what it says in here, you're going to have a healthy career. However, things may crop up that this book cannot cover. <laughs> so therefore, use your creativity, your judgment, your intuition, your expertise, the smart risk decisions that are you're going to be faced with is what's really what that line is so important, right? And I think that's what, to me, that's why leadership is so important. That's the leadership line. And that's what leaders have to, understand even in those compliant environments yeah right, that, that you can't escape it right oh completely you know it's funny you mentioned that line about using good judgment because i'm sure you're familiar with nordstrom's right nordstrom's yeah. is kind of exceptionally known around the world for their above and beyond customer service and if you look at the employee handbook for the nordstrom organization it basically has one rule that's it and it says Use good judgment in all situations. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and to me, what's so interesting about that idea of use good judgment, that is the most essential human skill. I mean, using good human judgment will never be able to be given to a robot and outsourced and right. turn into an algorithm, right? So after every other aspect of our work gets digitized and put online, what will be left is the essentially human skill of being able to use good judgment, which I think is in some ways the fundamental leadership skill because it informs how you connect. It informs how you communicate. It informs how you collaborate. It is the mindset that shapes everything you do. Is that what is this judgment? And that's obviously based on some deeper values and beliefs about what you're trying to do in the world. Well, and I think that's, that's why I, at the heart of, I think that's what your book, it, why your book is, is needed and unique because it, it's for someone that understands the power of what's the right word? Like it's the it's understanding the importance and the power of of exercising your EQ, right? That you cannot be a successful leader in this day and age without having emotional intelligence as being one of your primary muscles that you're going to train. I, I don't know how that resonates with you, but that's that's how oh, I see it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, to me, it's interesting because as I think about it, it's it's the self awareness piece that that begins emotional intelligence. It's so important. Yeah. I had a mentor who would say constantly, "We talk about awareness." He said, "It's awareness is key because you cannot change what you do not notice." And yeah. I just come back to that phrase time and time again because 
that's the path of growth. That's the path of development. It starts with awareness. And for me in the book, as much as I wanted to share with people some tools and tips around how to be a better connector and communicator and collaborator, I was also really keen to share and hear the things that are going to trip you up. Because look, if this was easy, we'd have a lot better leaders in the <laughs> right. world right now. So there's going to be things like the fact is you want to be empathic? Great. Impatience is going to trip you up. You know yeah. other thing? Power is going to trip you up. Yeah. Thinking that you're right is going to trip you up. So I share all of the shadow side of leadership in there too, because that's the hard part. You know, if leading is tough, I mean, doing it well, it isn't just like we said, it's not just a checklist, right? It's using the judgment. And it means also having the self-awareness to know is what I'm intending actually showing up. Because and at the end of the day, it isn't about do I think I'm a great leader? It's do the people that I think so? And what kind of feedback am I getting on a regular basis to ensure that's the case? Yeah. And that's why I love the, love the book because you just hit it on the head. And and I think I was, I well, I know I was late to the game on, on understanding the power of self-awareness. You know, going back to talk, mentioning that acting coach that I had, I mean, that really was the turning point for me 12 years ago. And the fact of the splat moment uh, of my own marriage almost dissolving mm. because of my, the, the, the leadership journey prior to all of that was so externally focused, meaning I understand these concepts. It makes sense. But it was so external, meaning I felt that my job was to motivate, inspire, influence, of course. Yeah. But I was going at it the wrong way. And that now what – and this is what I love about your book is that I think the key to influence, the key to becoming a great leader is so internal. Almost 80 to 90% of that time is focusing – on yourself. And that is a paradox, I think, when you look, when you think, when you, people hear the word leadership, because they do think it's about, you know, standing out there like Patton with your chrome helmet and your riding boots or whatever, you know, and getting people to do things. But people will do things or become inspired, influenced, and everything else if they see that you're working on yourself. Not maybe explicitly, but at least if you're shining the light on yourself, you're giving people around you the freedom to do the same. And that in itself is inspiring. Does that make sense? Because I'm trying to. Uh, I don't know. Fix myself is the right word, maybe. But you know, I'm I'm always how, I'm always asking myself how can I become a better leader. I'm I'm having the self awareness. I'm turning the volume up, knob up on that self awareness piece. Yeah, and that's I get it. scary, and that it's, is frightening, and it's frustrating, and it's that's why leadership is so hard. Anyway, I said a lot. Yeah, there, but, no, <laughs> that's great because I think what you're to me, what you're doing this journey, and you said fixing, and maybe it's the word is growth or develop, but what you're trying to grow and develop yeah, is, uh, is is more consciousness, and as you do that, you are by nature stepping out of your previous comfort zone right and it is uncomfortable like you know it doesn't get more comfortable it, it the only thing that gets comfortable is the discomfort becomes more familiar so in that <laughs> yeah. way you know the fact is yeah asking people for the honest feedback of what i can do better of course i want people to say that you're awesome and i love you and i think you're terrific and i know that's not what's going to make me grow and it's that it's it's the same thing with like exercise like we all know in the moment exercise is painful and it's easier to sit on the couch, but you know, long-term it's going to benefit you. And if you can get yourself into the habit of the short-term discomfort, the long-term gains and benefits, you create that habit. And the path of leadership development is the same. It's like, yeah, there's going to be some short-term discomfort. I'm going to have to put myself in the hot seat where I am going to try stuff and I'm going to get feedback and I'm going to learn from it and I'm going to grow. But unless I'm willing to take that step, I am not going to grow. And so I think that's the nature of it. And what you said about taking that time to reflect, it's so important because again, I can't change what I don't notice. So awareness is that key. Well, and I, I, it is. And I think, you know, getting that or exercising that EQ constantly, you know, realizing the power behind it, realizing the power behind the self-awareness and self-improvement of yourself and getting more authentic and transparent and vulnerable and being courageous and all of those things certainly are going to help on the empathetic side and, and get, get you more connected. I mean, I think that's, that's kind of the, the key. You, you mentioned some of the obstacles there, the power, the impatience piece, yeah. but w what are some of the habits that we can do to strengthen that empathetic side? I mean, maybe you've mentioned some of them already, but 
Yeah, yeah. So I think the key, if there was a keystone habit that would make you a more empathetic leader, it is listening with purpose, and which is different from listening the way most people listen, right? Most of us listen to finish, to have them finish an answer. It's to step back and park your own agenda. I mean, park it to the side and really have somebody else front and center completely with the goal of, can I really seek to understand them and understand where they're coming from? In fact, I'll bring this to life with a story that I write about. So I want to tell you about these two women named Joanne and Emma. So Joanne was the manager. She was basically the cosmetics manager of a high-end retail chain store. And one of her employees was an 18-year-old named Emma. And Emma was a good makeup artist. She worked the cosmetics counter. She was good with customers, but the way Joanne described her, she was a bit rough around the edges. The biggest issue that Joanne had with Emma was that her uniform, she'd show up on Fridays, her uniform would be dirty, constantly dirty. And this was against company policy and Joanne told her and she actually gave her a verbal warning, but nothing changed. So she decided she had to let her go. So Joanne told me what she did when she asked Emma to come into the office. So she had her sit down and she thought through how she was going to tell her this was her last day of work. But there was something in that moment Joanne picked up on. And this is the pivotal moment right here. So I'm kind of slowing down the story in real time is that she noticed as she was saying something, there was some story behind the story that she couldn't just keep going. And so she stopped and she took this extra minute to ask Emma what was really going on. And Joanne said, that minute of asking is the best decision I have ever made as a leader. And what she found out was that Emma's parents had abandoned Emma and her brother when she was 15 and her brother was 11. And Emma had been raising the two of them on her own. she they have been living in a small single room with no stove, no bath, no nothing. And that basically she was working two jobs. And between her commute and her shift time, she physically was unable to wash her uniform before her Friday shift. And Joanne said, I thought I had this lazy employee on my hands <laughs> and nothing could be further from the truth. And so that, that she told me that, that that had happened to her 15 years before she told me the story. So in the 15 years from the time that happened, Joanne is now the executive vice president of merchandising for the whole chain. And Emma is the general manager of their flagship store. Yeah. Right. So it's like that moment of how do you shift that moment of tuning in that moment of listening with purpose. Right. Because she could have just kind of like, I've got a job to do. I'm going to let this this girl go. Boom. But the willingness to stop and really listen, like not just with her ears, but with her heart and her mind and her soul, because there was something and that's the intuition part is that she's able to do that. And that was the thing that changed everything. That's a great story and a great example. And I'm sure I mean, I mean, thinking as you, you're telling that story, it's the numerous examples that I've missed and also where I've done that and it was successful. Right. And, and, yeah. and it's painful to think about the ones that I've missed because I wasn't listening with purpose, you know? Yeah. And that's, and the sad part of that is that we don't know what we don't know. Right. right. <laughs> so right. How, much, how much of those things have we just missed those opportunities completely? That's a great story. I mean, it's, it's, it's so true. And it, and it gets to the point as you, you were saying, I mean, you can't escape the idea that, that leadership is, a, it's a people, it's the people business. I mean, it should go without saying, but I think sometimes people get into leadership, not fully appreciating that, you know, yeah. and I've joked many times on the show and said, I mean, there are days that I have, if you looked beneath my shirt, my t-shirt is, it says, I hate people, you know, because <laughs> sometimes I do. Yeah. And I think, and even acknowledge that and being honest about that, that they can drive you crazy. And, Completely. but at the same time, you understand that this leadership game is all about, it's never about you. It's always about them. And sometimes that even gets misinterpreted. They think it's like, well, I'm not going to let anybody, you know, run all over me. No, I mean, right. But at the same time, taking the time to understand, well, what's really going on here? You know, it's the old cliche. If you want to be understood, seek to understand, right? You, you yeah. have to understand. Yeah. And it takes work. It takes intentionality. Because the selfish side of me is just like, I'll oh, just get on with it, you know, just wash your damn uniform. You know, <laughs> that, that's, yeah. that's, it's easy to say that, right? And it's yeah. easy, to, easy to judge. Yeah. Oh, man. So yeah. many good stuff. I mean, I, I, and we didn't even talk about the communication side of your book, which I think is every challenge I've had in my life and still do even to this day, it always goes back to some sort of communication. 
problem, yeah. right? It's yeah. so hard to communicate with each other. What are some of those big obstacles, do you think, of communi- communicating well? You highlight them in your book, but what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, like? I think one of the biggest ones to think of, have you ever been to the uh, like a state fair or carnival where they yeah. have the midway with all those games? Yeah. So you know the ring toss? We have to try to yeah. throw a, a little ring over the ball, how hard that is, right? So the real challenge with communication, it's actually harder than the ring toss at the carnival because there's three rings that we have to get all on top of each other to have great understanding. And that is what do people say and what do they mean, which aren't necessarily the same. And then what do we hear? And so that lack of alignment happens almost all the time. And I think one of the big things that leaders have to recognize is that misunderstanding and misunderstanding are the default settings of human communication. I mean, the fact is you're not going to get 100% understanding most of the time. And as a great leader who seeks to be a strong communicator, you want to ensure that you are having yourself and others walk away with as much accurate understanding as possible. And the reason I'm so keen on this is because understanding becomes the platform on which we make all future action. So if we stand on a solid understanding platform, we can make great decisions and get great results. If our platform is tippy and it's got holes and one leg is missing, we're going to make some poor decisions. We're going to get some poor results. I mean, I think I imagine that for you, so much of what goes on with communication in the cockpit is all around ensuring that people are seeing the exact same thing because of the level of safety that's going on. So that's where it starts, right? So it starts with that, is understanding that understanding is not the default setting. And I go through a bunch of different tools to help people to close those gaps. And one of the easiest, super simple tool that people can use, I call it ask for a receipt. If you think in life, why do we have receipts? They're basically proof of a completed transaction. And the more important the transaction, the more likely you'd ask for receipts. So you might go to the store and buy a candy bar and I don't need the receipts, fine. But you'd never dream of buying a house with that one. So the idea is in communication, asking for a receipt is a way to make sure that your information hasn't just been received, but it's actually been understood. And there's a great story about the power of asking for a receipt that comes from the fast food industry. So in the 1980s, you might remember this, you and I are about the same age, they just started the drive-throughs in all yeah. the fast food restaurants. And at the beginning, the drive-through process was a nightmare. It was really <laughs> common. You, you, you would drive up, you go to the intercom, place your order, you drive up to pick up your order and be filled with mistakes. Right. And this was going on consistently for the first couple of years. And this went on. And then all of a sudden, drive-through mistake rates just started to plummet. And you might be wondering, well, what was the new technology that changed all that? so simple, Richard. What the employees started doing was repeating the order back to the customer before they make the food. It was that simple because they were basically going, you said two burgers, two fries, and two Cokes. Is that right? Yes. They got, they confirmed understanding. And what's amazing is how many of us have business meetings where we're throwing out all these ideas, the meeting ends, and we haven't taken that little simple step just to confirm, right, Richard. So what are you walking away doing? Alain, what are you walking away? Like, why don't we do that? So just making sure we start asking for a receipt. So a super simple thing anyone can apply to confirm understanding and become a stronger communicator. I love that. You know, and as an aviator, I just trying to, I was thinking about that, the examples that we have in the cockpit. You're right. Our big thing is about being clear and concise and, and then confirming. And all the important things, like if we're flying and we get an altitude you know, if I'm flying and you're on the radio, one guy's flying, one guy's on the radios, right? And you're like, you, mm-hmm. you're here to go to climb to this altitude. And the guy not flying or on the radio actually dials it in on the um, autopilot or the, or the altitude indicator that you're going to. And you keep your finger there until the other guy acknowledges it. You see what I'm saying? So you like, yeah. it's like the receipt. Yeah. And it's like, that's the receipt right there. Clear to 37, right? You see 37? Yep. See 37. And like if in exchanging, um, controls, even though there's two people in there and you think it would be so obvious who's flying the plane, there are many accidents where people, a perfectly good plane crashed because each assumed the other had the controls, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing that you wouldn't think that that would be a problem, but it has happened. And so simple things of saying, Hey, I'm going to go to the bathroom. You got the aircraft. I got the aircraft. You got the aircraft. So you see what I'm saying? It's like the repeat. It's like yeah. it, there's a receipt in there. I love that idea. 
of the receiving. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It's what it is. It's what you're doing because you need that confirmation. Because mm-hmm. like we said, as you see from the tragic results of what happens when you don't, is that if you have misunderstanding, you mm-hmm. make bad decisions and you get terrible results. And I love so. that. You're so true. And that, I learned that in aviation too, that just assume that the, the, the default is misunderstanding. You know, that, that we go into cockpit communication knowing, assuming that, right? Yeah. I think that's a great way. To, that's a great foundation or base and I, point. And, and I imagine that for you in the cockpit communication is there's, it's probably exhausting in that there's a certain heightened level of listening, right? Going on because you know, you need to listen for that level of clarity. And that's when I coach leaders, I say, that's what you need to do. Listening is not a casual hobby, right? You, this is your job. This is your profession. Like yeah. you need to listen as though your life depends on it because your business certainly does. And if you're in the cockpit, your life does. So that's that level of heightened. I mean, when I get done facilitating, I mean, I'm exhausted. I mean, listening that much takes work. It does. It I mean, is, I get, you get better at it, yeah. but it's your job. That's the work yeah. right there. This is great stuff. I mean, I, 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 we could talk about this book for a couple hours, but I think that, you know, <laughs> the whole idea, the simple model of connection, communication, collaboration, again, I think it's a book that, that, opens everybody's eyes to the obvious and not so obvious reasons why everything's so difficult today. It's easy to understand, but it's difficult. And that's what I love about your book. It gets into the reasons why it's so difficult and it gives you the tools on how to navigate through some of those obstacles. So a great job on the book. Uh, I highly recommend it. Um, How can people learn more about you and reach out to you and yeah, it's great. Sure. The easiest way to find me is actually to go to the book website, which is www.crackingtheleadershipcode.com. While you're there, you can learn all about the book. You can actually download the first chapter and get a preview of the book. That's connected right to my website, which is alanhunkins.com. And you can find out all about the work that I do, whether it's coaching, speaking, training, consulting with individuals, groups, and teams all under the umbrella of helping them to become a better leader. And if you've listened this far, you're now part of the end of the podcast listening club. If you have any questions about anything we talked about or anything else about leadership, you can reach out to me directly on my email. It's Alain at AlainHunkins.com. And I do respond to all the emails that I get as part of the end of the podcast club. Well, I will. <laughs> I love that. Into the podcast club. Yeah. So I'll have links to all that on the uh, post at doseofleadership.com where you can easily connect with Alana. And so uh, you got to check out this book. And I really appreciate you coming to the show. Maybe, uh, hopefully you can come back because uh, I think we'll get to explore so many other topics. But um, man, I'm so glad we finally got to have you on the show and have you become a part of the Dose of Leadership tribe. I mean, you're the perfect uh, addition to it. And uh, I'm sorry I hadn't had you on sooner because uh, you're chock full of great nuggets and a great value-packed episode. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Richard. It's really been my pleasure. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.